It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. The Saudis came for the sport of golf. Are they coming for your favorite football team next on the Minnesota Football Party? Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. It's a Reggie Wilson Wednesday on the Minnesota Football Party. Welcome to the show. Like every Wednesday and Friday, we've got Carol Evans Sports Director and Anchor Reggie Wilson joining Luke and me. He's on Twitter at Reggie Wilson TV, bringing you the news on Channel 11. Luke Inman, usual sidekick at Luke underscore Spinman. Today, fellas, I, I got to bring this live PGA merger into the conversation. I've been obsessively consuming the commentary over the last 24 hours. I've got some thoughts on whether this reality that is now professional golf could ever infiltrate the National Football League. We'll talk about that. And uh, Luke is going to quiz me on what happened at Minnesota Vikings OTAs yesterday, our third open practice that we've attended. Got some nuggets for you there. We've got Twitter questions. We've got YouTube polls that I think are intriguing that Luke put up yesterday. So plenty to get to on today's mailbag show with Sam, Luke, and Reggie. And it's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more at fanduel.com slash locked on to get started today. And before we dive into the content, too, reminder that we are free on YouTube. Subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota. Leave a comment, please, and uh, ring that bell so we can have more subscribers, more people can find the show, and that's just good for everybody. Uh, we're also free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Reggie, what was your like jaw drop level when you saw, and I, I don't think you're a big golf guy, um, but what was your jaw drop level when you saw like PGA merges with live golf? Did that like register for you? Is that a big, a big news story in your circles? So my first reaction, um, because it, it was like happening as I was waking up and I woke up and I was just like, so what was all of that for? And then you get on Twitter and you see the discourse with, you know, what Jay Monahan said, you know, linking live to 9-11. And like, it was just all kind of gross when you think about how it yeah. ended up playing out. And then he kind of tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like, hey, look, man, uh, I had a different set of information back then. You know, the information has changed. And so, you know, things are different now. And it's just like, eh, is it really that different, my guy? You basically called it sports washing you know you you basically said that it it kind of attacked not even kind of it did attack the integrity of the game you had 
some of the best golfers in the world spurning nine, 10 figure offers from live golf. Like they, I think they offered Tiger Woods something like $800 million to come over and, and be yeah. a part of their tournament. Yep. And, and he turned it down over his loyalty to the PGA. Not that Tiger needed all that money, but I mean, if you had a chance to make close to a billion dollars, I mean, why would you turn it down? You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. you're like, okay, look, you got to be loyal to PGA, be American and, and turn this money down, have a backbone. And then Liv was like, Hey man, look, if we float you this hundred mil, or, you know, we can make it 200 mil, or however much, whatever you want, baby. You, you want to go ahead and combine? Can we Come go on, ahead baby. and do this? We're printing can, money over here. Can we do this? And Jay's like, you know what? This is good for the game of golf. This is a landmark day. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? What are we doing? The greasy commissioner archetype. He he fits it so well. Just yeah, like kind of make, kind of the slime. There's a slime or a sludge just like dripping off of him. Yeah. He would make Gary Bettman and Rob Manfred proud. Roger Goodell's like, <laughs> Couldn't be me. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, I had more questions than answers right away. I know you're my go-to PGA guy. I mean, so in a nutshell, and I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here. This is a Vikings football show, but just in a nutshell, I was listening to Rich Eisen and a couple big takeaways. This is Saudi Arabia buying the PGA Tour, obviously. In turn, though, also buying the lawsuits, right, that are going on between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, buying those and then dropping these lawsuits, correct? Because that's part of this merger, right, isn't it? These litigations are going to get dropped. Isn't that kind of at the end of the day what it's all about? The Live players want back in on the PGA Tour, and the Saudi prince, he doesn't want to be deposed. Yeah, um, well stated by you, and I thought the commentary on Rich Eisen yesterday was really good. He had Alan Shipnick on as well, who was really good. Scott Van Pelt was really good. There are so many smart golf commentators who can lay this out in great eloquence and detail. Brandel Shambly on Golf Channel, phenomenal, um, and he's been the biggest critic of Live all this time. But the PGA Tour had beefed up its its payouts so substantially in co- in combination with these exorbitant legal fees that the PGA Tour was theoretically siphoning money. And they, unlike the Saudis, there's a bottom of that well. Like you can actually kind of get cash poor if you're the PGA Tour, whereas the Saudis have no bottom to the well. We're talking like a, a fund that is closing in on a trillion dollars. So there, there's not money is not an issue. They could play the long game, bleed the PGA Tour dry. So it was incentive for both. Saudis don't want to get deposed. PGA Tour was sick of sinking resources into this fight. Um, and they basically said, well, this is maybe a compromise that, that gets us both out of that hot water and uh, allows this, you guys get the influence and we get your money. And Jay Monahan, oh, I get a pretty nice payout here, I bet. Um, let's link this, though, to football. Because I think now that the Saudis have bought golf, they've got an English Premier League franchise, they're into F1, uh, th- th- this may not end. I mean, I think if you heard the uh, you know Yasser Al-Ramayan yesterday, who's the head of this thing, talking about all the different spheres that they have looked into for the vision 2030. That's the, the Saudi initiative vision 2030. How can they, you know, get their claws into 
all these different industries. And I think that you think about other sports, tennis, you know, could they get into tennis? Could they get into other sports where there are like independent contractors that could go play for a new league? Could this ever work in football? Um, I do have some thoughts on that. And I think the answer for now is no. Number one, to feel just one team, think of how many players you would have to coax to, to come over, right? To field a division, <laughs> think of how many players it would take. Like, you need teams to play against each other. Um, Liv only needed, like, 10, 12 pretty good golfers to make that work. And then they just filled in the cracks with, like, you know, the, the also-rans, the old guys, the has-beens. You would need to recruit a lot of guys in football. Um, and, hey, if you created an, a non-salary-capped league, where guys could get paid way more than they do in the salary capped NFL. Maybe there's an appeal there, but what other league has ever worked, right? Like from a viewership standpoint, fan interest standpoint, you would have to get so many players to jump um, that I just don't think it's realistic. And football too is not a global game. It's not global like soccer. It's not global like golf. American football there, there, there are interests in other parts of the world, but it is fairly contained to America. And I think the Saudis have more of a global interest. Um, so I don't think it's realistic. But, hey, like we talked about, when the dollars increase, you know, the money goes up and up and up and up. People can change their minds uh, fairly quickly. So, guys, any thoughts, Luke, um, on, you know, whether... Football could ever be affected? Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points, Sam, why there would be a lot of roadblocks, right? A lot of speed bumps. And you talk about, man, you would need such a large pool of talented players to jump ship. But the one thing I do think about in the back of my mind, I think about all these NIL deals in college football right now. If you can recruit some of these top high-end college prospects coming out, sure, right away, the first three, four, five years might be a little muddled with lower talented players. But if you could steal a third of the draft class every year and get those guys to come sign for you and play for bigger money, then I think there could be something there as far as matching that talent pool six, seven, eight years down the road, obviously, once those younger guys get into that league, develop and progress into what you know hopefully would be superstars over in that league. So I get it. I think it would be tough for sure. I, I don't see it in the cards, but this seems to be the first domino to fall now that they've got their foot into North America. Yeah. Reg, any thoughts? Yeah, I just don't see it happening. But it is interesting as the NFL is trying to grow the game into more of a global type game. You know, we got games in Germany. We Mm -hmm. got games in Mexico. We got games in London. And, you know, they're trying to increase their international footprint. Maybe the Saudis see an opportunity to get in on it. I mean, NFL... They're making money hand over fist. It's like it, it's it's just easy. They're like printing money at this point because everything that they do, we're consuming it. And they're like, look, we're gonna have people playing on Friday on on uh, you know, Black Friday. We, we're gonna have people playing on Thursdays more. We're gonna have we might have people playing on Tuesday. Remember during the pandemic. We had we had Tuesday games. Wake up, or you you go to work, come home, and then on a Tuesday you're watching the Buffalo Bills play. You're like, this is awesome, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, it, 
I can see maybe the Saudis wanting to get in on something like that, but I don't know. It just seems a little bit more far-fetched. I think the the game of golf is just so unique in that it does give that that like international feel that you can kind of like manipulate it a little bit more. And these NFL owners, man, like I guess if if the payout is is good enough, but they're kind of you know they they hold on for dear life. They're they're some control freaks. So I I don't know that they would give in to that. There have been so many other leagues too that have tried to rival the NFL. You know, you look at the XFL, the USFL, and you know all these different other leagues that have tried to come and and rival the NFL. And the NFL is just like <laughs> we're still the NFL, bruh. So uh, get in line. We're making more money than you can ever make. And so I think that might be one of those situations still. Yes. I I think that maybe compared to starting their own league, that just gaining a seat at the table would be the Saudi Arabian goal. The NFL does not allow foreign investment in their, in their purchase of teams. And that's why the, the bid for the commanders, the $7 billion bid at the 11th hour from Brian Davis, which has come under great scrutiny because they think it came from the middle East. And that I think is where the Saudis would maybe get a foothold is if, you know, and pro football talk has written about this, that eventually the NFL is going to have a franchise overseas and that's going to globalize the game a bit and bring it overseas. And then when you have franchises overseas, well, then you might let your guard down and, and, and end the regulation that says you can't have foreign investment. You open that up because suddenly the game is global. Then they buy a franchise now, the fact that there is a salary cap in the NFL and probably always will be kind of prevents them from muscling their way around, right? Because they just muscled their way into golf. They forced players to leave the PGA Tour. It would be hard to do that in the NFL. And in addition to that, Jay Monahan made this deal under the cover of darkness. There was no one to really check him. There was no board. There was no vote. It was ridiculous. I don't know how that structure wasn't set up before. I don't know how he was allowed to do that. But the NFL has better checks and balances, I think, with the 32 owners having to vote at the league meetings. To let anything dramatic get into the league, I think, would have to come with their approval. So I don't think this is an imminent threat to football because of the size of the rosters, the size of the organization. I think that, though, you look at other sports, maybe a basketball, you know, basketball is a global game, and there are many fewer players required um, to form a competitive team or league. That, that I think, would be a bigger target, less formidable target um, for a foreign government. Very interesting stuff. A reminder that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make a fast break to the FanDuel Sportsbook app for the NBA Finals. It's the Heat and the Nuggets tonight in South Beach. Nuggets favored by two and a half. Ron Johnson said he's taking the Heat plus two and a half. You can do that too. And if you're a new customer, you can get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. It's a great, easy to use app. New promotions all the time. Get paid instantly. So get that no sweat first bet too. Up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. No better place to bet the playoffs than at FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On and official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, Luke, you told me you've got a couple questions about OTAs. I happened to be there yesterday. I've got a couple observations. 
Hit me with anything you got. So let's switch gears to the defensive side of the ball. I've heard a lot about this dime defense. If so, who's been in that dime defense personnel-wise? Daniil Hunter, he's been absent. Obviously, Zadarius Smith is gone as well. So who's been the primary edge rushers? And then with Harrison Phillips out, what's that starting uh, three defensive linemen look like right now as well? Yeah, um, so a lot of Tonga. Kyrus Tonga has been the Harrison Phillips replacement in most of the packages. I thought yesterday's situational period was the most fun that I've had watching them at OTA so far because we saw them kind of in a real game-like situation, down 23-21, 55 seconds on the clock. Offense had to go about 40 yards to get in field goal range. It was a great drill. Um, Flores was running dime pretty much the whole time, and the dime put... Patrick Jones and DJ Wanham on the edges with Davenport in between them. So three down linemen, you had Hicks and Asamoa as your linebackers. And then I think they, I think Murphy was taking it easy, maybe getting some, just kind of getting a vet day. So Murphy wasn't on the field. So it was Blackman in the slot, mm. Evans and Booth on the outsides, uh, Metellus roving around as the, the wild card and Smith and Bynum. In, at, at safety Josh Metellus you guys he's been probably the defensive surprise of camp so far at the expense of Lewis seen Lewis seen has been pretty clearly I think the fourth safety in the pecking order um and and I don't think that's an injury related thing like he has been getting reps just with the twos never the ones and rarely on the field in those three safety looks. It's been all Metellus, guys. And that gets us also to a question I got from from G6 on Twitter. Is Seen coming along slowly, or has he just been bad? If Bynum is still ahead of him on the depth chart, that won't look good. I mean, to the first part of that, I don't think he's looked bad. Like, I think that it's a testament to Lewis Seen that he's running around full speed and he's healthy. That's the most important thing. Let's remember, he only had about four weeks in the league before he got hurt. So it's kind of like he's just an advanced rookie. You know, he really didn't get a lot of experience last year. So he's going to have to be brought along. I don't think he's looked bad. And it's also kind of hard to look bad in these settings because there's not a lot that can go wrong. They're kind of bringing you along in baby steps. I just think that Bynum is a starter in this league. I don't think that scene would have started at any point last year, guys. I don't know if you disagree with me, but Reggie, I thought that Bynum earned the, the job in week one and would have held it probably for most of the year, regardless of, of if uh, Lewis Seen was healthy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and Cam Bynum really kind of came on uh, last year. He showed some flashes in his rookie year, and then he went on to, to I think it was 81 tackles, uh, two interceptions last season. You know, it's a movie. Um, I, I just think that... Um, it's kind of telling. We were talking about this even last year before Lewis Seen uh, had the unfortunate leg break over in London. He was just not cracking the lineup. You have a first-round pick, a first-round pick that you traded back to get, and he can't see the field on defense. He's playing special teams. And you're like, okay, maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe he's slow to come on in the in the defense. They they don't want to put him out there yet. He might be a liability and all that. But the reason why you got him is because you thought that he was such a, a good, like veteran football player because you know he spent that time at Georgia. He was uh good on the back end of that defense. 
and a smart guy who had been in the fire a little bit and you got him, you thought that maybe he could just seamlessly transition. And it is a kind of telling, you know, I, I kind of liken it to uh, San Francisco. They, they bring in Sam Darnold and they're just singing all of his praises and Trey Lance is coming off this broken leg. And he's like, yo, I'm healthy. I'm over here. You traded, you know, up to number three to, to pick me over guys like Fields and, you know, other guys that you could have taken. You made the investment, but you're singing Sam Darnold's praises, even though I'm healthy. Like, what's going on? And now I'm seeing like, oh, yeah, like Trey Lance's. He's taking the first team reps now over Sam Darnold as Brock Purdy uh, recovers from the elbow injury. And so it is early. It's not training camp. You know, so you, you don't want to read too much into it. But if the dude can't even, like, get up to even, like, second string, you're wondering, like, okay, what's going on? Is he not grasping it? Is he having a, a tough time getting acclimated to this level? Or did they make a mistake? It is early, but those are the type of things you wonder when you see him out there and he's healthy and he's flying around, but he's not he's not cracking the lineup over guys like Metellus or, or Cam Bynum and He's a first-round pick. Guys, I'm old enough to remember when Derek Cox and some other veterans were starting over guys like Trey Waynes when he was younger and Mac Alexander. I remember when Chad Beebe was getting reps over Justin Jefferson in OTAs. This is what happens. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You mentioned it, Sam. This guy only got action in three games. He was a rookie before that. Take it slow with this kid. And I think the fact that in training camp last year and even preseason, the fact that we never did see him get first-team reps, we still got that itch. We're like, well, when is he finally going to crack that bubble here? When's he finally going to get these first-team reps? But you got to remember, coming off that brutal injury, it's a blessing that he's even out there right now. I think that was the biggest surprise of OTAs those first few days. Lucene's out there with no brace, and he's moving around. He looks great. It's a long grind. It's a marathon. Take it slow with this kid. And remember, we talked about this yesterday, Sam. Safety? It might be the deepest position on the Vikings roster, either side of the ball. I mean, they got four legitimate players right now, so there's no rush. It's a good problem to have. You trust Brian Flores will find a way to maximize and get the best 11 guys on the field. I think Lewis Seen will find his way into that equation, whether it's a three-safety set, whether a guy gets a little hobbled or banged up at a certain point in the season. Lewis Seen was a first-round pick for a reason, and the coaches will find a way to get him on the field. We got to pump the brakes just a little bit, though. Coming off that brutal injury, there's no need to rush him back and have him go zero to 100 in, what is it, early June? Relax, guys. We'll, we'll be okay. Lewis Seen's going to be a good football player. Yeah, and if you want to be disappointed about Lewis Seen being fourth on the depth chart, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you should be equally excited that the Vikings have a former sixth-round pick who is playing himself into a role. That's phenomenal. That's, you know, a feather in Rick Spielman's cap for finding someone that could hang around for this long. And, and he, he did that a, a few times in his tenure as GM where he'd find those kind of scrappy late round defensive backs who became good special teamers and played their way into a role in the secondary. J. Ron Kirst comes to mind. Chris Boyd comes to mind. Robert Blanton got some starting run there for a little Bob bit. Bob Blanton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was quite an era. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I think that Metellus looks really good out there guys. And I don't think that, um, his presence means that scene is struggling. I just think that Metellus has <clears throat> multiple years, uh, in, you know, playing in the NFL, multiple years of health. 
that scene did not have last year. And uh, I think they just like his skill set. So that's that's very interesting to, to watch. Quick um, follow-up here, Sam. I know yeah, Wes yeah. Phillips stepped up to the podium. Just any just quick takeaways or knee-jerk reaction. I know he was asked about Josh Oliver. He spoke glowingly about just his size, his ability to help in the run game as a run blocker, but he remembered scouting him coming out of San Jose State. A great natural pass catcher as well. But anything else from Wes Phillips? I know one other side story that's been going on is just Kirk Cousins in year two and just understanding the verbiage in the playbook not having to think when he goes out there. That's great on one side of the coin. It makes me think, devil's advocate, maybe some rookies like Jordan Addison are going to take a little bit more time to adjust to the playbook just with their heads spinning, not only going from college to the pros, but maybe this offense is just such a diluted offense that it takes maybe a season or two to fully grasp. Is that fair to think? Well, Wes Phillips was asked about the complexity of being a rookie receiver in this offense. And he said, yes, it is complicated and we are not going to spoon feed them and baby them along. We're going to throw it at them so that they can, you know, we have high expectations of our young receivers. And in that sense, yeah, I think that, that they drafted Jordan Addison for a reason though, when they interviewed him, they were impressed in his ability to, take them through what he sees on every play, why he made the step that he made. He's really a student of the game. We haven't really gotten a sense of that from him yet. He hasn't talked very much. We don't know Jordan Addison very well. All we know is what the the team has told us. And from what I've been told is that he is really, really sharp. Um, So I think that they believe he can pick up on that learning curve quickly. But when Wes Phillips says, yeah, we're not going to spoon feed them. Yeah, I think we need to, to pump the brakes on what we expect to see right away like that reinforces that KJ Osborne probably is your wide receiver two, starting in week one like I just I think that he's the favorite to be that guy and um, also to that point encouraging to see the progression development of a guy like Jalen Naylor already from year one to year two yes he flashed granted it was towards the end of the season last year but yes he flashed a little bit but you're just seeing him out there making play after play as you mentioned last week and it just gives you a lot of high hopes if a guy like Jordan Addison does start out the gate a little slow not to worry just give it some time be patient eventually once they grasp the entire playbook and verbiage and things like that and let guys like Keenan McCardell one of the best wide receiver coaches in the game do his thing work his magic a guy like Jordan Madison will end up being and living up to the hype of that first round selection. Yeah, I'm I'm dying over there, Luke, because I'm watching Malik Knowles just not participating because he's got the knee the knee rehab. PCL. So I'm yeah, I know I, he's standing over there by Addison. They're just how's he look? Practice. How's the eye test though? I mean, he looks like a future Hall of Famer. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> Number eighty one. Uh, yeah, he's he looks Love like it. the real the real entity. But meanwhile. Tristan Jackson is out there making all these plays that I want Malik Knowles to be making. Also, today on the Ron Johnson show, uh, go check that, that out as well. Garrett Mogg, the new wide receiver pickup from North Dakota, is on the show. 6-4, He And he's not slow, guys. He's pretty fast. 6-4. I really liked watching him yesterday. I kind of had my eyes on him most of the time. Practice squad guy? For sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's mm-hmm. definitely in the mix. Uh, Reggie, w- what are some uh, or anything has kind of caught your eye here over these three OTAs or yesterday? Any reports that you saw that uh, caught your attention? 
Honestly, I think it's been all about the defense. Really haven't talked a whole lot about the offense. I think everybody expects the offense to be good. Um, they are running into a good problem, which is they are developing these receivers. You know, for you to talk about Jalen Naylor, yeah, he can kind of step up and be a guy that you you think could could make some plays in this offense. And now when you're talking about all the weaponry that Kirk Cousins has at his disposal next season, you're looking at an offense that maybe could score like 30 plus points a game, you know? But I think what has really been the focus is this defense. Everybody's just been talking about, oh, you know, we had Marcus Davenport yesterday. He was talking about how the defense makes, you know, you feel you play a little bit more free, which gives you a little bit more opportunity to make more plays. And, you know, all the things, you know, Cam Bynum, we had him on yesterday. He was talking about how they looked at some of the old Miami Dolphins tape and seeing all the crazy things that the defense did with Brian Flores. And they're like, oh, man, like, we're doing that now as well. Like, he was saying how, you know, where he might be a safety, but on a certain play, he might be a linebacker. On another play, he might be an edge rusher. Another play, he might be a corner, you know, just going for it. And Brian Flores not being afraid to blitz at any point, <laughs> at any point. And so I think um, the offense has kind of talked about how it's really kind of challenged them and made them better. And I think overall we'll see a better product, you know, moving forward. The tough part is this offense is going to be good. We know that. We knew that and we know that coming in. I think you all touched on it yesterday. It's, yeah, the, the first quarter, the scripted plays are good. In the fourth quarter, coming back, they're good. But the second and third quarter, like, finding more consistency throughout the game. And I think the defense being what it is now, I think it's going to challenge them to see more looks, to see more things that, you know, I think last year, you know, beyond the scripted plays, Maybe the defense with Donatel didn't give them enough information to know like what could work, what what won't work, and what will work ultimately against different coverages. Because you know though they had looks that they hadn't seen come game day, they're like, oh shoot, like we didn't necessarily plan for that, so we're seeing a bunch of three and outs. And maybe they see some things in in practice against Brian Flores' defense. They're like, okay, maybe these are things we can exploit if a defense wants to get aggressive like this or if a defense wants to do this because we've seen all these different looks that we can take advantage of. And maybe we see more sustained drives. Maybe we see more successful drives from them on offense. I just think the whole thing can help uh, from top to bottom. But Brian Flores does have his work cut out for him. You know, he's got to figure out who's going to be his starters on defense in that cornerback lineup, you know, he's still working through this safety thing. I think that'll play out in training camp. And then who's going to be coming off the edge? You know, are are we going to see, you know, step forward for, you know, some of these guys like DJ Wanham um, and, and the guys that are kind of behind Daniil Hunter and behind Davenport, is Davenport going to step up and, and do more than just a half a sack that he did last season? I think he has a lot to show and prove. And, you know, yesterday he talked about being violent and that's what he brings to the game. So if he can do that and, and contribute at a high level and stay healthy, I think this defense 
is is going to be okay. But there are a lot of question marks because they're doing something different than what they've done in years past. And the personnel is it's it's kind of made up of some unproven guys that you know week one to week seventeen, week eighteen level. Uh, and I will say this too. Both kickers were perfect yesterday. We got Watch a kicking out. competition brewing. Look out. Look out, G-Money. Hey, um, Sam, just off yeah. Reggie's point, Marcus Davenport sounds like you mentioned last week he's lining up a little bit all over, hand in the dirt, standing up. But right now with no Hunter, you got Pat Jones, you got DJ Wanham. Any sighting of Andre Carter, the undrafted rookie from Army, and where was he at kind of in the pecking order? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. He actually got some uh, – second team reps yesterday okay like they they have two fields with starters and key backups and then there's like the less important backups on the other field and andre carter was on the important field yesterday wow and he got some reps with the twos so ivan pace jr while we're at it yeah i think he's been buried with the the backups um haven't seen him with it's been a lot of troy reader the the signing that I think we all overlooked when it happened. We're like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. He, he's probably your, he's the new Nick Vigil. He's the leader in the clubhouse to be that base package, 15 reps a game guy, the Ben Gideon, the Nick Vigil, the old Chad Greenway role. Greg Beekert. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pete yeah, Persich. Come on. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, our everydayers know the deal. We're available in many different places Amazon Fire, Roku, YouTube for free wherever you get your podcasts. And now the Sirius XM app, just search Locked On Sports Minnesota. Find our shows on the Sirius XM app as well as all of our hometown broadcasts. So the Twins trying trying to bounce back from another shutout at Tampa Bay, trying to beat the best team in baseball. You can find that broadcast tonight. Every pitch with Corey Provis and Paul Molitor on the broadcast right now on radio on the Sirius XM app, just search Twins. Uh, In closing, guys... I'm going to share my screen. Luke Inman puts together these wonderful community polls and people vote. We got one and a half thousand votes on uh, this poll question, which running back will benefit the most from a Dalvin Cook departure in 2023? Overwhelming uh, response favors Alexander Madison. And I think that's technically correct because he's going to be the number one guy. Ty Chandler's who I voted for. You see it lit up in blue because if Dalvin Cook's on this team, Ty Chandler doesn't see the field. Ty Chandler is like maybe a game day scratch and maybe an emergency backup, but but he's not going to see the field at all. With Dalvin Cook out, I think Ty Chandler goes from not seeing the field really at all to being like a 30-40% guy. Like I think that his role increases exponentially without Dalvin Cook. And we talked about this yesterday, Luke and I did, but Reggie, what do you think about Ty Chandler's opportunity to kind of do something on this team? Yeah, I mean, he showed flashes. Uh, He had a good preseason last year as well, and just another year in this offense, learning things and and kind of, you know, growing with Kevin O'Connell. I think it gives him an opportunity to step up. Look, we've seen from this offense, this is not just a one workhorse back offense. So there are opportunities. And if Kane is, you know, your, your primary kick return guy, you know, he is one of the best kick returners in the league. 
But, you know, we see kind of like some of these rules that are going into effect with the special teams. Like maybe he is going to be a little bit more available uh, to be on offense and maybe he carves his way as maybe like a third down back or something like that. I mean, you got to take advantage of having that type of speed on your offense. But Ty Chandler seems to be like a little bit more of an all around like complete back and having him come in and spell Madison maybe for a series, but especially, you know, kind of using them interchangeably. That just keeps both of those guys fresh and and also just kind of keeps that motor going. And I think he has an opportunity to do that. If Madison is going to be the top guy, you still need somebody to come behind him. You know, Dwayne McBride, he's kind of young. You know, he may be maybe like a, a healthy scratch as you were talking about. Maybe Ty Chandler would be. Um, and and then you got this whole situation with Kane as well. I think those two guys, he and Chandler, are going to kind of be battling for the extra touches. I think Kane wants those touches, um, but it, it's interesting though because you do have a guy who can take the ball and and be a home run hitter. Talking about Kane, and so you do want to utilize that. But like I said, you got a, a guy in Ty Chandler who showed flashes last year, who could actually kind of really make a difference in the backfield um, with his speed and his youth, um, his playmaking ability. I think they're in a, in a good position to, to see what they can do as Madison kind of leads the pack. Yeah. Reggie hit on a lot of good stuff there of these four running backs. I think you kind of split it up into two groups. You got Madison and McBride feel like a little bit lower ceiling, but in between the tackle bruisers, wear you down, grind those defenses down late in the fourth quarter, but more of like first and second down type of runners. Kenne and Ty seem to be a little bit more of those home run splash hitters. And I think the big difference between the two, as we even saw last year when all three of us were banging the table, why isn't Kenne getting involved a little bit more in the offense? Kevin O'Connell handpicked. In fact, Kwesi traded up even in the fifth round to go get Ty Chandler. There's something about this kid that they really seeked out and wanted on this roster. Kenne, obviously, as much as we love him, as explosive as he's been in the kick return game, he comes from a different region. Regime. comes from the Rick Spielman regime, and I think KOC and Quasey, for whatever reason, they just like Ty Chandler a little bit more. So I agree with you both. I think that Ty Chandler is kind of the unsung hero and like the wild card if and when Dalvin Cook does move on, that Ty Chandler is going to reap a lot of those benefits and get a lot more touches, 303 touches to make up once Dalvin Cook leaves. Obviously, Madison's going to get a chunk of that, but between Kenne and Ty, I think Ty ends up getting about I think we said it yesterday, Sam. I guessed about 120 of those touches, which is a healthy amount stretched mm-hmm. out over 17 weeks. Yeah, and yesterday, Wes Phillips asked, hey, is Ty Chandler getting ready to step into a bigger role? And Wes Phillips answered, and take this as you want, he said, well, he's going to have to be, which mm. says a lot. It mm. says a lot about, about what Dalvin Cook's future is on this team. Dalvin Cook is becoming Stefan Diggs with the tweets. Um, Reggie, I don't know if you were around Stefan enough to to have detected this, but he was the the cryptic, ambiguous Twitter guy. You never knew if it was something breaking news, if he was just having a day, if he was kind of into his feelings. Um, but Dalvin Cook's tweet one hour ago, just a chef emoji. Just a chef emoji. What does it mean? We don't he's know. Just letting people know he's him. 
He said he'll cooking. cook you up. He's cooking, baby. Yeah. Hey, I, making I, breakfast. I just want to note real quick about Wes Phillips talking about Ty Chandler. He also mentioned how good he was in the passing game as well. We actually saw that a little bit mm. last year and then at North Carolina as well. And if he can show that he's crisp and, and polished in the passing game as well, I think Ty Chandler is going to have a huge advantage in that rotation as well. But yeah, Dalvin Cook, cryptic tweets. I don't know what to think anymore, guys. It's just... It's kind of exhausting. I think we all circled June 1st on our calendars months ago, and now that date is coming gone. Now I just don't know what to think. Nor do I. Um, with that, we'll wrap it up for the day tomorrow on the Minnesota Football Party. Arif Hassan and Luke Braun back with us. That's Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman. He authors the NFL Draft Buzz newsletter. Find it weekly. You can subscribe at LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters for free and get not only the latest – NFL draft buzz, NFL draft fallout, but also just NFL storylines every week uh, here at Locked On. Reggie Wilson doing the news, Care 11, uh, the sports director and anchor, and we appreciate his contributions. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom. Follow along there for Vikings updates and show updates here on Locked On Sports Minnesota. Thanks for watching today. Back with you tomorrow. Ty Chandler, upside. Think Tony Pollard. Be blessed, Brella. <laughs> hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.